Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 353. I'm your host, Emily Aries, and today I'm sitting down with Tessa West, author of Jerks at Work, which is an amazing read. Uh, just came out in January, all about the different kinds of, frankly, pain in the ass people that you're going to run into in the workplace if you haven't already. Specifically, how to deal with each and every one of them. I'm so delighted for you to hear this conversation because Tessa is such a boss, and I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with her. A little bit of background first. She's an associate professor of psychology at NYU, where she's a leading expert on interpersonal interaction and communication. She's published over 60 articles in the field of psychology's most prestigious journals and has received multiple grants, including from the National Science Foundation and the National Institutes of Health. She's the recipient of the Theoretical Innovation Prize from the Society for Personality and Social Psychology, and she writes regularly about her research for The Wall Street Journal. More than anything, I think this conversation is perfect for the rising middle manager or the aspiring people manager, because once you go from being an individual contributor to managing others, you really have to deal with the day-to-day realities of the imperfect people that we're going to navigate the workplace alongside. So whether you are dealing with a direct report or a jerk as your manager or a jerk as someone who you're just trying to avoid in the workplace, place, this book, and hopefully this conversation will help shed light on how to not avoid them, but how to deal with them, confront them, sometimes directly, sometimes not, and how to make managing people and relationships a part of your skill set, because it is absolutely essential for your continued career success. All right, Tessa, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to have you on. Your book, Jerks at Work, is the perfect conversation starter for 2022. Uh, I think now more than ever, if you have a jerk at work to work with, your life can be a real challenge, uh, especially in the rising nature of virtual work. So first, tell me why you decided to spend some of these past pandemic years writing a book all about jerks at work. And is this something your therapist challenged you to do, to write about your experiences? Well, sort of. So I, yes, I think it's much easier to write about things that you complain about to your friends and family than it is to yeah. write about things that you sort of feel forced to write about because they're, you know, in the moment. And I spent mm. so much time complaining about my own jerks at work and also realizing I was the jerk and sort of having to work through that really devastating and shameful experience of um, making people that I actually really like cry when I was in charge of things. And so I thought, you know, I I should just write a book about this and I can, you know, talk about these types that most of us will encounter or have encountered at some point. 
So kind of just really taking advantage of my own life experiences. And also I study awkward interpersonal interactions for a living. So why not (laughs) bring that to the masses and help people figure out how to have really uncomfortable conversations with people that are nasty to them in the workplace? Yeah, totally. I think awkward social interactions should be like everyone's required education at this point. (laughs) Definitely in management training, you need to learn how to deal with awkward social interactions, right? Nobody does. No one teaches us this stuff. Not to mention like what is management training and why don't enough people get it, right? That's right. So my my first big question for you is why are there so many jerks at work and why are there so many jerks running things at work? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of different factors that predict who becomes a jerk. And one thing we don't like to admit to ourselves is it's it's often not bad people or bad apples. It's actually people mm. who have some good traits and you put them in an environment that really brings out the worst in them. And so I think the reason mm. why we have a lot of jerks is because we have a lot of environments that encourage that kind of behavior, totally. you know, and I yeah. think in, in management, no one really learns how to be a good manager. And some of the people that are actually great at their current jobs, they do things like pay close attention to detail. They're conscientious. They're go-getters. You put them into a management role and all those things turn sour. They turn into micromanagers, for instance. So we select on certain traits that are good that actually aren't great for leaders to have. And we're really oblivious to how our environments encourage um, work jerkery. I think most of us have no (laughs) idea, you know, that we're we're building a world that really is a a kind of, you know, flourishing, um, you know, garden for these people to come in and, and really allow them to be their worst selves at work. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how you acknowledged up front, too, that these people are sometimes us, Yeah, (laughs) right? Like being really great at your individual contributor role, to your point, doesn't necessarily make you a great manager of others or people leader. And that can be a hard lesson to reckon with on your rise, right? As you get promoted or if you're given the opportunity to lead a team, reconciling with the fact that you're now a novice with a whole new skill set to learn can be a real challenge. So at what point do you feel like you reconciled with that reality yourself, that maybe you were being a jerk? And I also am curious to see how self-aware you think people are when it comes to whether we're the ones perpetuating bad behavior at work. Yeah, I think, I mean, the first question is super important. You know, when can you realize that you're the jerk? When did I realize? It was really late in the game. So I'd say Mm. nine times out of 10, no one's going to tell you that you're the jerk. You're not going to get that feedback. And if you're getting that feedback, it's like you have gone pretty far down the jerk rabbit hole at that point. You've really pissed (laughs) off enough people that someone's willing to have a very uncomfortable conversation with you about it, Mm. which people generally avoid. So I found out I was a jerk about a year after my, um, you know, my bulldozing behaviors had begun. And it was Mm. kind of just by accident where I stumbled across someone who was really upset was trying to hide her feelings from me. And and Mm. she never really came out and told me. I had to read the tea leaves a little bit to figure it out. And I think most of us don't ever really get the feedback that we're jerks. You know, we leave jobs pretty frequently. References aren't called on. So even our new employees don't find out about it. No one tells us. And if you're getting that feedback, it's probably because you've been bad for a long time. And I think most of us assume that no news is good news. That if we were bad, Mm. somebody would tell us, but we don't tell other people when they're jerks. So we just have to apply that logic to ourselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you have a, a quiz on your website yeah. too. <laughs> Tell me more about that and what do the results look like from your end? Yeah, this is interesting. So I have a quiz about the type of jerk you are and my book is categorized into these seven different subtypes. The quiz really gets at kind of categories of behavior that cut across those. So, mm-hmm. you know, people who are really conniving, they do things to get ahead, um, you know, behind the boss's back and that kind of thing. Most people actually categorize as... Um, pretty hands-off. They don't want to be part of the the solution. They don't want to be part of the problem. They just kind of want to be left alone. And Mm. because of that, we have like a whole bunch of people who are pretty disengaged, who are pretty cynical about this stuff. And, you know, they're just like, leave me out of your drama. And it's creating a culture of apathy around jerks. So something like 60% of people categorize as, you know, individuals who are just like, not, not causing trouble here, but don't turn to me to fix things either. That's kind of the right. most common subtype that I see. That was my, my big question. And I want to get into the types of jerks in a moment here. But, you know, this book serves as really a helpful practical manual yeah. for how to navigate the different kinds of challenging people you'll face at work. And I guess part of me, when I sit back and think about that, wonders – are we enabling them? Yeah. You know, are we tiptoeing around them? Why do these jerks get the opportunity to continue to thrive in our culture? Like, why are we finding ways to live with them instead of them being chucked out? Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think that's a great question. It would be awesome if they would get chucked out, but a lot of them have <laughs> talents that our Damn bosses yeah. love, you know? And so right. one thing that we have to reconcile is they're kept around for a reason. They're doing something right that the powers ah. that be like and mm-hmm. simply saying, screw these people, why aren't they getting fired, is, a, is just a little bit narrow because the bosses yeah. are saying they're not getting fired because they produce, you know, their numbers Results. are twice as high as yours. And yeah. so most of the difficult people that we feel, you know, outwit us tend mm. to have some kind of talent or skill. And I don't think mm. that we should learn to tiptoe around them. I think we should learn to confront them wisely and also learn how to get the boss to care. And that's a huge yeah. skill that we all need to do a better job of learning. We think if we lead with complaining, that will work, but bosses just yeah. find that annoying. And so a lot of the tactics I teach are really like, how can you kind of get together, gather the right people around you, get the right allies to make your boss yeah. think this is a widespread problem. This isn't just about one person. This is a cultural issue and we're going to mm. have a revolving door of talent if I don't fix it. You know, we yeah. want our bosses to be afraid that if they don't fix the jerks at work, then everyone's going to leave in droves. And that's kind of the ultimate goal that you want to work towards to create environments a little bit more jerk-free. I love that. As a business owner myself, I think that's such an imperative to make a business case for why this problematic person who, yes, might be a driver of results is overall a bad apple for the organization and needs to be dealt with when, frankly, every boss is like, do I have to though? Like, I don't really want to deal with this person either. Yeah, Yeah, totally. That's the other thing (laughs) is a lot of bosses have what are called toxic protégés. So these are people who work for them who are toxic, not just to you and I, or the people who work alongside them. They're toxic to their bosses too. They're actually harming their boss's ability to climb up the ladder. They're harming their boss's reputation but the boss doesn't realize it. And so we Mm. have to sort of realize this person isn't just toxic to me. They're actually toxic to the people in power as well. And they're completely unaware of sort of how that toxicity is manifesting at work. Mm. 
So interesting. I want to get into some of the specific kinds of jerks at work that you outline in your in your chapters. Um, specifically, you caught my attention when talking about the free rider, the person who's not pulling their weight, and the credit stealer, right, who yeah. I think women in particular are familiar with because we <laughs> always, or not always, but often get our ideas uh, co-opted by others. Yes. So these two folks in particular seem to thrive in environments that lack transparency around mm-hmm. who's doing what. Yeah. And granted, I run a small business. I've got, you know, four of us full time uh, and a handful of part time employees, too. But it boggles my mind the amount of clients I work with who don't have any system for tracking people's work because we have a ton of systems at our workplace that helps us clarify who's doing what and by when and how. And the systems and structures for transparent work seems like a no-brainer to me. So how does this happen? How does a lack of transparency lead to free riders and credit stealers? And what can we do about that? Yeah, I think... So first off, free riders and credit stealers will often seek out environments. They'll apply for and get the jobs that don't have that transparency. So if they were mm. interviewing to work at your company and you were to say all these things, this is what our Excel spreadsheet looks like where we keep track yeah. of what work you've agreed to do and what work you did that you didn't agree to do, they're going to think, okay, this is not fertile breeding ground for me. Like This is not a good yeah. environment for me. So they seek out those environments where there's just a lack of transparency. The managers are very high level, so they're thinking Mm. long-term goals. They're not thinking the daily how you actually accomplish those things. And they also seek out teams that ironically are really well-functioning. And so most of us think that Jerks at Work thrives in environments that are already toxic, right? Mm. They're problematic. You can be a jerk and no one cares, or the boss, you know, um, allows people to be rude to each other. That's actually not the case for, say, I don't know, nine out of 10 jerks. They seek out environments where the team members are cohesive. They like each other. There's collective Mm. rewarding, and they will make up for for the loss of the free rider. And so kind of the best things that we can actually do is look at how our strengths can be really harnessed as weaknesses and how they can be exploited. Um, So for instance, with free riders, there's this ironic finding that if teams are full of conscientious people and you put a free rider on that team, they actually outperform teams that don't have a free rider because they overcompensate. Bosses see them overcompensating. They don't realize the free riders on the team and they give them even more work to do because they're Mm. so good at their job. And so you see these kinds of cyclical patterns emerging that are allowing these free riders to get away with their behavior because their teams are actually performing better with them on. And so you And then the team burns out, right? Into the minute that all of those people who are essentially uh, enabling that free rider get exhausted, get burnt out, leave, and are exhausted. I found so fascinating about your take on the free riders that they're very charismatic, typically. People typically like them, and they're fun to be around. So, you know, when we talk about jerks at work, they don't all look the same. They don't all act the same. But someone who regularly, frankly, exploits the hard work of their colleagues, that definitely falls into jerk behavior. Yeah, and we don't like to think of jerks as our friends. Right. And right. often free riders are our friends. They're, they focus on social goals over work goals. Yeah. You know, they like to gossip and that stuff is fun, but it derails team progress. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're like a little bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing and that we like them. We don't want to confront them. Um, yeah. We don't want to tell on them to the boss. So these are all reasons totally. why they get away with their behavior. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. That, that speaks to me deeply. And what's interesting is that 
accountability in that environment with a jerk like that can feel like punishment. When in fact, like accountability of doing what you say you're going to do, integrity, which is one of my core values and our core values at Boss Up, right? Of being clear about expectations as a manager of others and then being clear about fulfilling those expectations as an individual contributor. Like that is accountability 101 and it is severely lacking in a lot of workplaces. Yeah. I mean, a lot of workplaces treat accountability as a punishment. It's punitive. So if we're keeping track of what people are doing, that means we don't trust you. We're spying on you. Mm. You know, we think you're up to no good. If it were always built into the system, then people wouldn't feel so squeamish about it when we introduce these concepts. They would be okay with it from day one. It's just when it's added onto the back end after people have screwed up that people are reactionary against it. Understandably so, yeah. In our Level Up Leadership Program, we talk about managing for the outcome and not managing the process, right? Because if you have a clear way in which you document workflow, for us, we use a task management software like Asana. We have very explicitly written tasks and standards that align with our job description. So really clearly articulating who's doing what, what's getting done, who's in charge of everything across the board makes it feel equal, right? And standardized. But a lot of our level up participants who come to our program, learn about all these systems and structures and then go implement that. They get a lot of pushback yeah, because their direct reports have historically been like coasting. What's the big deal? So I mean, when you are faced with someone like a free rider or a credit stealer, someone who takes you know credit for others' work, how do you implement accountability without becoming another kind of jerk at work, the micromanager? Yeah. I think it's really key to, if you are a manager, you need to have your teams really take ownership over that accountability. And I'm a huge fan of having role clarity on teams. And one of those roles is a rotating role of someone who has to play the hall monitor a little bit, right? Uh. And in some teams, that person is the individual who looks at it at the end of the week or the end of the month, the work people did that was seen and, you know, that they yeah. agreed to do and the unseen labor that they did, those sort of side jobs. Um, you know, one person keeps track of that. It's kind of a heavy burden. So we rotate that role and everyone mm. on the team has that role. And so everybody feels kind of equally responsible for keeping that alive. And they're not just doing it when the boss is around and it, they're not just doing it because the boss tells them to do it. Um, and yeah. by giving them that ownership over the process, they're creating kind of procedural clarity, but the boss is also not micromanaging them. It's not a top-down mm. kind of execution. It's this mm. is going to make things better for you all, and it'll actually learn. You'll learn how to confront each other when free riding right. is going on. You're not going to wait for me to show up to deal with it. Totally, yeah. I think it's interesting to remind all of us that we should be spending some portion of our time on a regular basis talking about how we're doing the work, yeah. not just doing the work. And that that is just such a revelation for so many women I work with, yeah. which is, oh, we don't just keep our head in, you know, head on the desk and stay in the trenches and constantly be churning out tasks and being productive. We have to actually tweak the engine as we're flying the plane, right? We have yeah. to work on how we're working. And that is that is again, missing (laughs) from a lot of workplaces. Yeah. I mean, I try at NYU to have efficiency meetings. Like once a month Mm -hmm. in my my lab, we have an efficiency meeting. What part of our process is working well? Where are we having, you know, some bottlenecks in the process? And that could either be with communication. It could be with getting certain tasks done, but it's, it's very meta and high level, but it's really critical to, you're right, to keep the engine going. I mean, you wouldn't like not take your car in for 
for repairs right. or go to the doctor. And I think sort of 90% of the battle with dealing with difficult people is early detection and right. dealing with conflict really, really early and keeping it small. And the right. only way we can do that is if we have these kind of efficiency check-in meetings with our teams. Totally. Which brings us to the topic of feedback, which I think is part of that, right? What role does giving and receiving feedback play in ensuring that you're not the jerk or yeah. that, you know, there aren't jerks running amok in your team? Feedback is one of those words that immediately makes everybody's blood pressure spike when they hear it. If you get an email yeah. from your boss that says, I need to give you some feedback, how's next Tuesday? Ah. You're not sleeping between now and next Tuesday. It right, really, right. People really hate feedback, and I understand why it's scary. Um, but there's an art to giving good feedback, and the good news is there's a formula to doing it. And you know, I think the key is you want to give it immediately after – Whatever the thing is you want to give feedback on, you want to keep it right. super specific to behaviors. The longer you wait, the more your feedback is global and the more it's personality-based. Yeah. So we say things like, you don't trust me to a micromanager or you're smothering mm -hmm. me instead of, you gave me you know, four minutes to make edits to a document. So you want it to be very specific and you want to actually do it really frequently because when we yeah. do it frequently, we get better at it. And at the end of it, always ask to get some feedback back from the person that you just gave it to, which nobody totally. does because we don't want right. to get feedback back from our jerk. But it makes it feel more yeah. like a conversation. And the regularity of it sort of reduces the intensity of it. Exactly. If you have a one-year review and then you get feedback a year into your new position that you've been doing something that your boss doesn't like over and over again yeah. for a year, that feels like such high stakes. Whereas, you know, if you have a check-in meeting every two weeks, like we do here at Bossed Up, or every four weeks, or at least every quarter, yeah. where you review how things are going and give and receive feedback, it just lowers the intensity and sort of the concentration of all of that. Yeah. Also, I think we have these huge cognitive biases when it comes to feedback that we just focus on the most recent thing. So, mm. you know, when bosses sit down for those, you know, quarterly reviews, they usually just focus on things that happened within the last week. That's yeah. entirely what their feedback is based on. The last totally. week. So hopefully you had a good last week. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's certainly not representative because we're not actually very yeah. good at kind of adding up our, our feedback in our minds, summarizing yeah. it, and then giving it. It's, okay, I have to do this for 15 totally. direct reports. What did you do last week? Let me write it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's did. a lot of cognitive labor, yeah. right? Like just thinking – uh, about 15 direct reports is overwhelming. And yeah. so making time to be thoughtful and to have those conversations frequently is hard. One of the things we always come back to in Level Up is when giving feedback, like you mentioned, around behavior is either to redirect or reinforce. Yeah. I really love how you gave me 15 minutes to edit that document, or I really yep. would love more than 15 minutes to edit that document. You know, being really specific about more of this, maybe that instead of this as yeah. like a, a vehicle for thinking about that. I think that's that great. Helpful? And it also highlights how a lot of times when we want to give feedback, it's usually negative. Um, but mm -hmm. we can always lead with things that we want the person to do more of that we actually yeah. like. And it defangs the conversation. It brings the threat level down. Yeah. So you're not just getting told all this stuff you do that sucks. But there's, yeah. there's probably, even for the worst jerks, there's a handful of things they do well that you would actually like to see them continue to do or totally. do more. So leading with that can really help make people feel a lot more comfortable in these conversations. How is that different than 
like flattery and what is known as the sandwich, right? Like it is the. (laughs) (laughs) Do you recommend the sandwich? Is that part of feedback? I I think that sometimes the sandwich is useful depending on your goal. So often, yeah, if the goal is to bring the person closer to you and not push them away more, the Mm. sandwich can really help. So for example, with free riders on our teams, we get really angry, right? When we figure out what they're doing, but they're already disengaged. So if we, if we try to shame them into submission, that's not going to work. We need to remind them why we liked having them around in the first place. I wouldn't, you know, pull things out of thin air. I would actually focus on the things about them that that you like, even if it's, you know, really nominal. Um, for the people that you want to bring closer to you. Same thing for micromanagers. But certain people, yeah. like gaslighters, you do not need to sugarcoat their behavior. In fact, I recommend not even confronting them at all. So I think it really yeah. depends on whether you're trying to get approach them to, you know, be motivated to approach you more. Then right. you sort of have to, you know, honey it up a bit <laughs> when you're delivering well, that's that. What I found that so interesting about your book is that you really deal with these different kinds of jerky behaviors with different recommendations. So let's talk about the gaslighter because I was surprised that you were so indirect in dealing with some of these people and it almost felt kind of passive. So you talk about allyship and dealing with a gaslighter as opposed to like directly confronting a gaslighter. Break that down for us. What is a gaslighter? Let's start there. Yeah. So gaslighters are people who are deceptive at work, but their lies are told to create an alternative reality or narrative for you. Um, Mm. And, you know, sometimes they're motivated to cut you off and to create this alternative reality because they're hiding something. Often it's the case that these bosses aren't very well liked or respected. And so in order to get people to continue to stay with them, they have to convince those people they have no other options. So the gaslighting kind of serves this purpose of saying, keep your head down. If it weren't for me, you would no longer work here. I've heard that kind of frequently from those gaslighters. Um, that is so abusive. Yeah, they're, they, first of they all, are like, that sounds like a lot of my ex boyfriends would yes. fall into that category, and mm-hmm. like, wow, trauma feelings. Yeah, yes. okay. And and you know, there's only so many ways to skin a cat. So your ex boyfriends are a lot <laughs> like other bosses because humans <laughs> are humans, and we're yeah. when we're awful to people, we're awful to people the same ways at work and at home. Oh. Um, and yeah. so I think what they do is they cut you off socially. So that that's what makes them very different than just liars, you know, habitual liars. The reason why I focus on these indirect strategies is because gaslighters know what they're doing and they're very deliberate and they're intentional. And so confronting them, you know, head on, I know what you're up to is going to make them double down. They also tend to have a lot of friends in high places. And so the minute you confront, they're going to go on the smear campaign. And, and I've seen this in my own workplace, the behind the scenes smear campaign to get people to take their side before kind of everything comes out. And that's why I'm all about the slow play, kind of more Mm. indirect building the allies, documenting, Mm -hmm. you know, finding your boss's coworkers and going to them um, and having them sort of build a wall around you before that confrontation actually happens. Yeah. You kind of need to cover your own ass, yeah, honestly. You do. And we have some episodes in the Boston Archives around toxic workplaces um, and like knowing your rights and how to protect yourself yep. that we'll definitely link to in, in the show notes because that behavior is so whack. And it just so destroys whack. you mentally. Yeah. Like go, going to work every day, whether it's virtually or in person – with that kind of behavior that you're running into, like these people can just dismantle the mental well-being yeah, and of the, so many. And the costs were are decades, you know, like I've yeah. t- talked to people who are gaslit that 
15 years later, they're still carrying that scar, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's a really disruptive, traumatizing thing that yeah. people get away with at work, especially in cultures where nobody questions other leaders. Leaders don't question each other. And that's right. where you really see gaslighting happening. <sighs> Brutal. So I want to talk about gender dynamics mm. and your book. So I guess my first question is why are jerks at work really men that we're talking about? <laughs> uh, just kidding. No, I know obviously women and men can both be jerks at work, but who's on the receiving end of this jerky behavior? What does the data show us about gender dynamics and, you know, confronting a jerk at work as a woman? Yeah. I think, comes with some social repercussions. So how do you wrap your head around where gender dynamics fit into all of this? Yeah, I, I actually study a lot of gender dynamics and communication. And what we know, kind of one tried and true finding from the science, is that women tend to be the targets of this behavior. But mm. men and women are equally likely to be the perpetrators. And that surprises people because a lot of us are sort of yeah. taught if you're a woman – you know, you need to find another woman to be your mentor because, you know, women, we need to stick together. And that can be the case in some organizations, but it can also lead people to sort of ignore the fact that men and women in power are equally likely to actually engage in these really crappy behaviors. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we actually find, there's a new study that actually just came out that men and women actually behave the same at work, but men, women are treated differently for those behaviors. Uh -huh. So things like speaking up, you know, being assertive, a, a, a female voice that's assertive is viewed very differently than a male voice that's assertive, even if we do like vocal analysis yeah. on it and they, yeah. they're exactly the same. Um, wow. And so I think that those gender and dynamics- And when you say differently, is it safe to assume that those female voices are viewed more negatively? Yeah. It's almost always yeah. negative. I think for women, <laughs> there's this competence liking balance. And if we go yeah. too far in one direction, if we're too competent, you know, and not at all like that we're called, you know, queen bee, cold, whatever else words you can think yeah. of too far in the other direction. We spend all day dealing with people's interpersonal conflicts, but we're not getting anything done because we're well liked, but not seen right. as competent. Whereas men yeah. don't have that trade-off issue. You know, yeah. they don't have to choose between competence and liking, whereas women do. The other thing I'd say is a lot of women don't feel these gender dynamics really punishing them until they gain power and status at work. And yeah, I remember right. when I was told this <laughs> yeah. by my female colleague who studies gender in the workplace, she studies, you know, the glass ceiling, all these things. And she said, they like you now, but just wait until you're in charge of them. Yeah. Then all it's all going to go yeah. to hell. And the minute I had power over people, <laughs> and it was true, yeah. all of a sudden people who so used to like me, they saw me with suspicious eyes, you know. And yeah. so a little bit of power for women flips yeah. flips the stereotypes of how people perceive us and how people treat yeah. us. And men don't feel that difference as they climb up the ladder quite as starkly as women do. Right. You know, it's and it's not to say they don't, right? Yeah. But it's just not as consequential, you know. It's not as and, consequential. And, if only likability didn't matter, then women would already be ruling the world. So it's sort of like there is this double-edged sword where the warmth, competence sort of trade-off around likability versus intelligence, ability, competence, whatever you want to call it, is a tricky one. We come back to time and again here at Basta because likability does matter. Yeah. Perception matters. The fact that all these jerks are perceived often as wonderful contributors on a team 
is what frustrates me more than anything because relationships matter. So you study awkward social interactions for someone who feels like, damn, I can be competent all day, but I don't know how to get people to like me. I don't know how to manage the emotional intelligence behind relationship management at work. Like, especially in this very newly virtual workplace that so many of us are navigating, how would you advise someone to begin investing strategically in relationship building to make sure that their contributions are seen, are appreciated, and are actually contributing to their career growth? Yeah, I think that's a critical question. I think sort of, we think a lot about this as like a soft skill, like an empathic ability. And some of us are good at reading others and some of us aren't. And that's true. But I actually think what really makes the difference are small behavioral changes that hit people over the head with blinding clarity. If you have Mm. clarity at work, if you're a clear communicator, um, there is procedural clarity around who gets promoted and when. So it's not a guessing game yeah. why one person yeah. got promoted in another day. Yeah. People are much less likely to cheat at work. They're much less likely to lie. You know, they're much less pissed off when they don't get promoted. Clarity is really key. And I think it's just a bunch of small little things that we can do every day from our yeah. emails. Instead of saying, let's meet on Tuesday at nine, let's meet on Tuesday at nine to discuss your recent right. proposal. You know, right. everything like that, that can provide people with clarity that reduces um, anticipatory anxiety. So anything that makes people feel like they know what they're walking into mm. and predictability. And I'm, I'm, totally. I'm all about just kind of hitting on those main things through small yes. everyday behaviors. You don't have yeah. to be an empathy magician. You don't have to be funny or charismatic. <laughs> those are things are great. Right, we call right. those like markers of a good leader. No, good leaders are clear communicators yes. with, that reduce uncertainty at work and they bring people in the know. And you totally. don't have to be this like wonderful person that everybody wants to hang around and people will respect you at work if you have those things and they will mm-hmm. stick around. And I totally. think if we just focus on those things um, when yeah. we become leaders, then we can worry less about being so likable. I gave up on yeah. that goal a long time ago when I was like <laughs> told by someone, you're going to be liked or respected. You don't get both. You're going to pick one, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is heartbreaking, right? But I'm like, I'm, I just, know. I'm going to avoid that. <laughs> Honestly, you can't read the research too much. I feel yeah. like being in an academic environment is hard because you're like, oh God, the data is bad. all um, doomsday. <laughs> it's yeah, it's pretty bad. But I, I can't emphasize your point around clarity more. I think that is the key differentiator between good management and bad management. And that is something that starts – at the top, but can also stem from the grassroots, right? Like even if we're not managers, even if we're not in positions of power, clarifying our own role is the step one to saying, what am I responsible for? What exactly is the standard to which I am performing? And how am I evaluating my own performance, right? Clarity at every step of the, the game is so key. And that's a big part of what I've learned as a manager in the past few years. And the systems for implementing that are out there. They're concrete systems for how to do that. And I've seen what a transformation it can be for organizations. One of our level up, um, alums after, month three on people management and delegation took this framework called tasks and standards to her boss and said, look, we have a real lack of clarity here around roles, responsibilities, deadlines, you know, the kinds of standards that we're holding ourselves to. What do you think of 
proceeding in this route. And he said, I want you to stop what you're doing and make that an institutional priority for everyone. Yeah. Like, I want you to spearhead that clarity campaign. And it just, it, it's almost like a prerequisite to being successful yeah. in your role or as a manager of others. But it's not common. It's, not it's like common. shockingly uncommon. You know, and I get why. So managers, most managers have something like 10 minutes a day for each of their direct reports. They spend 80% yeah. of the time answering to their manager. So we sort of right. forget that, right? Especially middle managers. That's kind of that yeah. really tough career stage. They spend almost all of their time thinking about what their higher ups are thinking about them. The perspective taking doesn't go down. It goes up. And that's what yeah. almost all of us do is we think up. What are people who are higher yeah. power than us, higher status than us, thinking of us, not those who are lower than us? So they, mm. they, and if they're being micromanaged, forget it. You're just never going to get yeah. any time from them. But I think to remind people that if you have a manager who isn't clear, you can actually force that clarity on them by asking right. questions in certain ways, by having small goals, by setting, yeah. by setting, I'm actually, I don't like big goals. I think they're scary and they're not useful. I like small weekly, daily, sometimes even hourly goals and forcing that structure on your, on your manager and they will actually see the utility of it. So you do have the power to do these things, even if your manager doesn't seem on board, I think. And people often are waiting for their manager to be the clear manager and and then they leave. And I'm like, no, you have, you actually have a lot of agency here. You can yeah. change your manager's behavior without yelling at them or telling them that they suck. And trust me, they'll for, they will thank you for it later. Totally. I think it's a good reminder that leadership is not derived from authority. Yep. Right? Like leadership can happen at every level. You can be the leader and be the intern who's leading the cause for clarity and clarifying expectations. So yep. that's such a good point. I could talk to you, Tessa, all day. <laughs> this is a problem because we have to wrap. But I have so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We've got more questions that I don't even have time for. But I cannot – commend you enough for the achievement that is jerks at work. <laughs> Thank you. I thought you were being very kind, by the way, with the term jerks. I thought that was the <laughs> nicest possible word you could use to describe the colorful characters that you chronicle in here. But who do you feel like is the perfect audience for reading this book? Is this a book we should gift to our jerk at work? Or <laughs> I think you should give this to, I mean, it's so funny. I'm like, is this the new glitter bomb of the workplace? You slip it yeah. into your boss. You know, everyone from brand new employees who are telling themselves, there's no way I'm going to encounter these nightmare people. Trust me, you will. To people who are upper level management that like aren't in the know. Because a lot yeah. of my tactics are about how managers can detect this stuff very early. And so it's not just for the targets, but for people who don't want to create a fertile breeding ground for jerks. So hopefully kind of anyone at any level can enjoy it. But um, it's okay if you don't feel like you have these strategies and been working for 30 years. A lot of people I've talked to actually fall into that camp. So I'm hoping to cast a broad net with this one. I love it. And it's so specific in how you deal with many different kinds of, of bad behaviors. So there's hope for all of us, right? If you're a jerk at work, there, you can turn it around. I feel like you're living proof <laughs> yeah, of that with, with effort. Sure. Yeah. And if you're navigating tricky people at work, uh, don't leave. Don't leave just yet. Don't, don't leave. leave don't, hop, don't hop from job to job because you're right. going to make parallel moves and you're never going to get promoted. Just right. try it first. <laughs> and there, odds are there are jerks in every, every workplace. workplace. So yep. learning to live with them is, is important. So Tessa, thank you so much for your time today. Where can our listeners learn more about you and keep up with you? So you can go to tessawestauthor.com and that has all my information for the book. The quizzes are on there. Um, 
at Tessa West NYU on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, all the places. Um, and yeah, awesome. I, I try to update my website with anything interesting that's coming out. And if you take my quizzes, you get feedback right away. So it's a fun place to do them. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Tessa. you. This has been a delight. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. My name is Sarah, and I'm based out of Windsor, Ontario, and I work in tech. So I actually just started a new role, which is related to my boss move. Previous to this role, I was working at a different tech company, and it was very much in the startup phase, so it was very much lots of additional hours and not great pay. And with the pandemic, I, I was working from home, and the plan was to, to get back to the office, which was not something I was willing to do in 2022. So I think my boss move began with advocating for myself in that role. I had taken on a lot of additional responsibility without additional pay, without title change. And I was able to negotiate additional pay, but not the title change and not the work from home, which was really what was important to me. And I just felt that having done this for the last two years, I really wasn't being valued there. That brought me to another organization, which unfortunately, um, after three months, didn't really turn out to be what I thought it was going to be. But being able to like recognize that situation and be able to say, hey, this isn't working for me and make that decision to leave. And now I found myself in this really fantastic role with this company that's in a very unique position. They've just gone public in November. Um, and so they still have a lot of that like startup mentality and culture that I really love where, you know, you're very empowered and able to contribute a lot to the processes, but they have the money of a bigger company. So I was able to negotiate a larger salary and more PTO, a bonus structure, all that kind of stuff. So very exciting and they have a really great referral program so I've been able to lift while I climb as well I actually connected with someone um, from the boss that's courage community who was looking to get into CS and she's on the second round of interviews for a role on my team so that's been super cool too <laughs> damn Sarah that is amazing what a boss move to kick us off for 2022 I am so proud of you and so impressed by what you just described, uh, especially the last part there about lifting as you climb. I think that's such a big part of the Bossed Up community. And if you're not a part of it already, make sure to join the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. The link for that is in today's show notes. And it really is just such an amazing place where people can both ask for the support that you need and share resources that you find helpful. So if you want to make a boss move like Sarah just did, land a new job or negotiate like a boss, definitely be sure to check out the Courage Community as well as our two really helpful, comprehensive free guides on the Bossed Up website. Go to bossedup.org slash job search for our 70 plus page job search guide and bossedup.org slash negotiation for my step-by-step -step negotiation guide because everything you just described, Sarah, is just giving me goals vibes for 2022. So if Sarah can do it, you can do it too. Go check out those resources. And I want to hear from you. If you want to be our next featured boss move of the week, set up some time to chat with me. We'll set up a quick interview over Zoom, or you can call and leave a voicemail on the podcast hotline. All of those details are in today's show notes, and I'd love to feature you next. 
All right, that's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Tessa West, author of Jerks at Work as much as I did. For more details on Tessa, where to get her book, and all of the resources we talked about in today's interview, head to bossedup.org slash episode 353. Until next time, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose, and together, let's lift as we climb.